0: Welcome everybody to a special uh, edition of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. My name is Scott McLeod and today I'm going get, to uh, get to have a chat with somebody from one of my favourite podcasts out there. Uh, if you're a big fan of wrestling podcasts then no doubt you've probably heard his voice at some point. Uh, he is one third of the Attitude Era podcast as Mr. Adam Babelow. Hello Adam.
1: Hey pal, only a third. That's that's sad. But I mean I guess to be fair to the Kevin and Billy, that's probably mathematically accurate. How are you doing <laughs> today, Scott? Thanks for having me on.
0: No, not a problem. I'm I'm happy that we get to get to have this talk. Uh but one thing I'm really excited about, Adam, and uh I'm gonna get straight into it, is uh that I get to chat to a fellow uh enthusiast like much like myself.
1: Oh buddy. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm on board. Now I'm definitely in the zone. Let's just spend the next however much amount of time just talking about Kane. I don't care if that's the only thing we talk about today. (laughs) This is the Kane feature show part two. (laughs) I have got, bear with me one sec. Oh, we are here. Just always within arm's reach Journey into Darkness, the (laughs) fictional biography of my boy Kane, and the much lesser known See No Evil, the novelization of Kane's movie as well. As well as a little cane action figure and various other bits of cane merch, just lit around because that is my life, to be honest.
0: I've got a little cane here as well.
1: There <laughs> he is. Have I got, always got to have it nearby. Good luck charms. Good to have near. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's just nearby. It makes me feel comfortable. It reminds me where I've come from.
0: <laughs> I always have it because we used to do a quiz every so often here in the show. So where I do a quiz, I always have it with me. It's like my mascot. Like on bloody countdown or something. Good man. <laughs> Uh, I've heard you talk a lot about Kane. You even joined the How To Wrestling uh, show about Kane. I did. I did. So, you know, being one of your all-time favourites, what would your earliest memories
1: be of Kane? Ooh, earliest. I'm trying to think of a specific... I mean, maybe earliest might have just been getting a Kane toy or playing as Kane on the games. I'm trying to think of the earliest specific Kane moment that comes to mind. I... (laughs) It's such a marky thing to admit. One of my (laughs) earliest memories is just remembering seeing him come out in the vest for the first time and being like, oh man, look at him. He's so cool. Um, I think my earliest, earliest memories is probably the X-Pac and Tory feud. Mm. I remember vividly Kane having a girlfriend and me thinking that was the coolest, sweetest thing ever. And then having my tiny heart smashed to pieces by that no good rap bastard, Sean Waltman.
0: (laughs) Everybody wants to uncover the mystery of X-Paul. It's right in there what he did to That's Kane. That's it. That's what it.
1: He it was vicious. There was literally no need for him to have broken Kane's heart like that. It was such an <laughs> unnecessary feud. So many years after Kane, Vicky just learned to love again. I know. He just put together the pieces of it, of his heart. <laughs> and sadly, Journey to Darkness doesn't go into the Tory romance, but... I have been working secretly on a Journey to Darkness sequel for a little while now, and you better believe it's going to be in there.
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, I thought about reading uh, Journey to Darkness, but then I listened to your bibli- bibliotech on it, and it kind of put me off a little bit of it. So I thought, I'll just take Adam
1: B- and Kevin's word for it. But a Journey to Darkness sequel, I'd be all about that. <laughs> Real talk, as big of a cane mark as I am, and as much as I have like a soft spot for this book, it is absolute garbage. I can say that with confidence and you shouldn't <laughs> actually read it for any sort of enjoyment because you'll be disappointed.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I was going to say, I'll say last Christmas, no, it's was Chris before that because the pandemics blurred everything together. Yeah. But uh, one of the main things I did ask for was Mayor Cain and mm. I remember getting that and making my way through it. It's one of the few wrestling books in a long time that I've uh, like, made sure I sit down and been read through in such a short amount of time, probably since the Jericho books. Uh-huh. And then I remember one night, like, my internet went down it was gonna be down for the rest of the So I thought, all right, I'll play through the rest of this game book. And unfortunately the re- the last I had the last third list and I was unfortunately into the full politics mm. phase of the book. And I just got through like, I've got nothing better, I'll just power through. But no matter how he tries to relate to wrestling, he still couldn't make it interesting.
1: That's it. The thing is, as big of a mark as I am of Kane, I'm sadly not a massive mark of Glenn Jacobs. And ah. I tried to convince myself for a little while. like I remember watching his 90-minute presentation on YouTube about Austrian economics and being like, oh, it's just so quirky, isn't it, that Kane loves economics? <laughs> and then I got myself a Glenn Jacobs mayor like his mayoral campaign t-shirt. And again, just being like, oh, it's I love every facet of Kane, don't I? And then the more and more I've learned about his politics, the more I've sort of woken up to like actually paying attention to what he believes in, the more I'm like, actually, maybe it is just the character of Kane that I like. Maybe I'm not yeah. so keen on this guy. Yeah. I-, I followed him on Twitter some time ago and I've quickly
0: learned that was a mistake.
1: Yeah. Love the uh, character, not the man.
0: Yeah. Pretty much, and um, you've got to learn to separate the two. And talk about you've guys been watching a lot of Kane when he was, you know, when he has the mask on, like you're mm. in the prequel to the attitude Era, So, you've got to just to see his debut. He's still in his arguably his peak time period. But for me, when I was watching Kane, I was at a time where he just took the mask off, and my brother had some old VHS's from when he started. So, I was going back and forth from oh. her product where I'm watching him without the mask and then watching all the stuff with, him with the mask. So I can never decide whether which one I prefer. I mean, I love his wow. team without the mask, but I don't know if you had a preference like look-wise for Kane.
1: Oh, baby, all the way. There is an absolute best Kane, and Vest Kane is best Kane. I'm talking SummerSlam <laughs> 2000 when he's just turned heel again. He debuts that badass new look. He's absolutely <laughs> ripped. I'd say the peak, 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 peak badass Kane is around early 2001. Mm-hmm. Where he's just started feuding in the hardcore division with the likes of Raven and Big Show, and they're putting him over as an absolute beast. I know a lot of people have like probably turned their noses up and say, "Really, you think your best Kane is hardcore division Kane?" But <laughs> he, they made him look like such a monster in those days, and I find it interesting because for me, I sort of fell out of love with wrestling after the invasion, where a lot of people dropped off, like the the sort of the Austin heel turn and all the faffing about with the the alliance put a lot of people off wrestling, myself included. So when I finally found out about bold, maskless Kane many years later, I was very cynical and quite arsey and turned up my nose at it a lot. And since then, I've met quite a few people like yourself and like Billy Keeble who grew up on a healthy diet of bold Uncle Fester (laughs) Kane. And that's their preference, like first and foremost. And even though I don't have a huge amount of knowledge about that particular iteration of the character – it, clearly, there must be something to it if so many people could grow up with that and still love him, even without the mask, even without the hair, even without those same bells and whistles that I love as a kid.
0: Yeah, because I think there was something to it for the first few months. You know, if you try and get past the whole everything you've told us about how he looks, but then say, though, so actually, it's all on the inside. Yeah. But the, but the first few months of it, where he's been brought out that one week with the chains wrapped around him, like he's yes. a serial killer, like uh-huh. the feuds with killing Shane and RVD and then trying to bury Undertaker. Mm-hmm. So. Up until WrestleMania 20, I think it started off very well that, Cain. But I get what you mean about vest, Kane. Every time I see him with the vest, because that was in a period where Glenn Jacobs really taking care of his upper body. I've referred, referred to him as sexy
1: Cain. <laughs> 100%, 100% agreed, yeah.
0: <laughs> you mentioned uh, Billy and Kevin, also from the Attitude Era podcast. You guys started in 2013, Yes. And I've heard Kevin talk about how he was listening to stuff like OSW and Coke mm-hmm. and that there's the podcast he was into. What were you really into, kind of podcasting wise? Remember the time you guys
1: started? Oh boy, honestly, back in those days, I kind of wasn't really into podcasts at all. I listened ah. to a fair bit of the Ricky Gervais show back in those days. I remember him him being like one of the sort of the early big names of like mm-hmm. he's a celebrity and he's doing this thing called a podcast. And it was like a BBC <laughs> news report being like, and you download it onto your iTunes on the computer, and it was like this whole new strange thing. And I listened to a bit of the Ricky Gervais show. And apart from that, I was very ignorant of podcasting. And Billy and Kevin had started doing a radio show on campus at uni because they were both in the comedy society together that's how they met and they were doing a radio show on campus and they wanted someone a bit more tech savvy to come in and do the production side of things and run the desk so i agreed to do that and we did the radio show for a few weeks and it was fun but we didn't get on too well with the management and with the structure of things there and after a little while we decided to leave and kevin suggested let's do this podcast about the period of wrestling that we grew up watching And I wanted to do it because I was having a great time hanging out with Kevin and Billy, and it was just fun, like, recording stuff and being silly and whatnot. But I didn't think there would be any appeal whatsoever. I was still very closed off to the world of online wrestling media at that point. Kevin was into things like your Colt Cabana and your OSW. He was very much aware of that. But I was still very much a sort of a fair-weather, casual wrestling fan at that point in time. I would maybe tweet about it a little bit I would maybe look at some clips on YouTube. I wasn't aware that there was this whole world of like online discourse and media and whatnot. So when Kevin suggested it, I was like, "Yeah, sure. I'm sure that'll be fun." Not knowing there actually was like a bit of an audience for this kind of thing already out there. So to answer your question, nothing. I wasn't really <laughs> listening to any <laughs> wrestling stuff back in those days. And you can also probably answer a question I was going to ask then,
0: but uh, let's see, go in a bit more, so from around hearing, you didn't really know them. He hadn't really known Billy and Kevin that long by the time you guys started the show?
1: I'd known Billy for a couple of years. Billy I met through a friend who, I, one of my best friends in uni, lived with Billy, and he introduced us that way. And then a year later or so, Kevin moved to town, and he met Billy through the Comedy Society, and Billy introduced us. So I'd known Billy and lived with Billy for a little bit when we started the radio show. I'd known Kevin for... Maybe six or seven months when we started podcasting, but the thing with me and Kevin was we met in a like in a nightclub, and I remember being like oh he he seems pretty fun and then being outside in the smoking area, like just trying to catch like a bit of like room to actually speak to someone and not have so much music <laughs> blaring someone i can't remember if it was him or me someone mentioned the words wrestlemania 17 and that was literally like (laughs) boom instant best friends kind of situation like we just spent so much time gabbing about wrestling and specifically the attitude era so i might not have known kevin particularly long when we started the podcast but we had this really fucking fast friendship built on the back of attitude era wrestling awesome
0: uh so I was quite fortunate that we're recording this because uh, at the time of recording, uh, you guys have recently uploaded uh, your most your most recent episode of War yes. Rumble Nineteen Eight, and there was a bit of discussion I remember hearing at the start. So when you guys talk about you know the early episodes, so mm. th- how long into doing that to podcast did you start feeling comfortable in recording a podcast? You know, because I, I have a feeling there may have been some nerves getting in the first few episodes, but when did it start to kind of feel more comfortable? Did it come? Maybe quicker, given that you were around guys you enjoyed talking to?
1: I mean, it definitely, definitely helped that I was in comfortable company and that I had such a good rapport and such a love for Kevin and Billy. That definitely helped. In terms of feeling comfortable with podcasting and feeling like a bit more confident with it, Honestly, maybe somewhere around season two or season three of the podcast, it it took me like, and this isn't like a typical thing, I guess, because I'm a particularly anxious and self-conscious person. So it took me an especially long time to get over a lot of that stuff. Um, But yeah, it probably wasn't until like season two or three when we were really like, when I really, really took stock of like just how nice people were being about us and like how you know, once we'd started doing things like live shows, especially, it was like, okay, people really seem to think there's something to this. And I sort of had known that for the ba- for a while in the back of my mind, but I kept convincing myself that, like, yeah, people like Kevin and Billy, and I'm the third <laughs> guy that they'll put up with for the sake of hearing their banter or whatever. Um, yeah, it took quite a long time to get used to it. And to the point now where you mentioned there, we're sort of looping back around where we are currently on our timeline. We're approaching... The point where we started originally and we're going to revisit the first episode we ever did which is going to involve re-listening to the first episode we ever did and let me tell you now mate i am terrified with that experience (laughs) i am not looking forward to listening to that one bit
0: (laughs) i can completely understand i tried to listen back to an early podcast i did recently and i turned it off after 10 minutes Mm. because i
1: I couldn't stand it (laughs) It's painful i can i can barely stomach listening to myself at the best of times but that version of me that incredibly rattly anxious version of me where i'm just i trying to get all my words out as quickly as possible so i don't get interrupted and then knowing that i've definitely said some shit on there that i do not agree with anymore like i am dreading hearing it back <laughs>
0: uh, just want to go around to a point you made there I, Obviously, the live shows you guys did a few of those mm. uh like i say that must have been kind of a daunting kind of thing you know, the idea of doing this thing amongst you guys and you're not really sure how many people are going to see it, but now you know there's yeah. going to be a it's a room full of people that are seeing it, so I must be quite nervous. But as you said, it kind of must have hit home just how many people really were, how much of a fall in the show had by that point.
1: It did, yeah. I mean, I never take it for granted. Every time we've done a live show, I have this pit in my stomach of like, no one's coming, there's going to be no one there. Like, why, why would they at this point? And every time I'm always incredibly flattered and just mystified by the amount of people that show up. That first one in particular though was incredibly incredibly special because it was it, we, we didn't organize it ourselves it was the London Podcast Festival invited us to come and do a, a, like a slot there which in itself was massively flattering and sort of was one of the few things that like did make me it was one of those milestones that made me sort of stop and go like oh okay this is kind of serious if we're getting yeah. invites to festivals and stuff and then walking out I was Petrified. I was so scared. Kevin and Billy have done stand-up comedy like multiple, multiple times. They're very well seasoned with live performance and all that. I've never done any kind of public speaking whatsoever. I've never been on a stage. I've never been in front of an auditorium of people. So I was absolutely bricking it. And I remember, I don't even remember what I said, but I made some little joke within the first couple minutes and people laughed. And I was like, it, literally in my head, I realized like, oh, I don't have to win them over. They already like us. Like, they've come here because they like us. And so there's not this whole, like, need to impress them or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah, it blew me away. Anytime we've done a live show and people show up to it and want to speak to us afterwards, it's the most unbelievably flattering and, like I say, mystifying thing in the world. It really blows me away and shocks me every single time.
0: It's good that you get to have that moment there. You like me. You really like me. Mm-hmm.
1: Compliment that's exactly what it is. I don't think I said that out loud on the episode. I don't think, thankfully, but that is completely what was going through my head. I was going to say, like, talk about
0: returning to normal, but who knows when that will be, mm. or yeah, or even as a normal. But like, when things you know i get more, there is a bit more of a return to normality uh, in the future, in the next year. So, is that a goal that's been discussed with you guys? But when there's an
1: opportunity to do another live show, hundred percent. As soon as the opportunity is there, and as soon as it's like completely comfortable and safe, and and not just for us as performers, but I want to make sure we're at a point on the road to normality where everyone feels safe enough to come. There's no point doing it if everyone's going to feel a little bit like, oh, I'd like to come, but I, you know, I'm not ready yet or whatever. So I understand it might take time. It might be a while yet, but good God, I've missed it. I've really missed it. Like the the actual live show itself, the performing on stage that's nice that's nice and it's fun and it's like there's definitely like a, a nice ego boost you get from that mm-hmm. but the thing that i've loved every time we have done a live show is the the two or three hours afterwards where we'll hang out in the lobby and just meet people and chat to people and finally put like faces to names for some of the people that have been entering caption contests for years or interacting with us on social media it's just that's what is really magical about it is actually being able to see all these folks and be like, I had a feeling that you were really nice and it turns out you are really nice and having like lovely chats and taking pictures. That's the really, really fun part. The actual the live show. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. But the, <laughs> the social afterwards, that's what I'm really excited about doing again. And yeah, it's been a while now. And while I can't say any sort of commitments because who knows what the hell's going yeah. on with everything. But when we're able to, you better believe that's going to be a huge priority for all three of us. We're desperate to get back on it.
0: That's, that's really good year. But we mentioned season four a couple of times. It's kind of the prelude to the attitude. was going from WrestleMania 13 and through the pay-per-views mm. to WrestleMania 14, where you guys started. How have you enjoyed the season so far? Obviously, you're Royal Rumble 98 at mm-hmm. the current moment. So, you know, midway through the season, you got some Pete Kane in there. But other than that, you know, have you enjoyed the season as it's gonna kind of have a few shows away from coming to a close?
1: Honestly, I, it's such a boringly predictable and Mark answer, but it's gotta be Kane. It's got to be it's Kane. Been. Like he has been so so well presented. I, I'm not just saying this as a Kane Mark. I'm trying to be objective here, but I do feel like the whole build up to Kane's debut and the, the aftermath of him arriving is one of the best bits of long term storytelling they've ever done in WWF. Like they really. They absolutely nailed it. And because we know that Kane will get made to do so many cringy things, there's all these, like, over the decades, there's this death by a thousand cuts where they chip away at his mystique. But in 97, they've not done any damage to him yet. He is flawless. He is exactly how they want him to be presented. And it is just, oh, man, it's beautiful. I know that's a big cop-out, though. So my my other main one I'm going to say, and it's a shame because he's not a part of the product anymore where we are on the timeline, but Bret Hart, massively, Mm massively, I was such a little pissant when it came to Bret Hart. I was one of the many people that was like, oh, he's this bitter old man that all he ever does is he shows up on social media every six months complaining about this and that. And, oh, I think he's grumpy and bitter and old or whatever and just had no respect for who he actually, actually was. And having seen, and don't get me wrong, I know that the period of time we're looking at, 97, that's the very tail end of his WWF career. This is not representative of his entire body of work. But even just seeing this little bit of him turning into the bitter heel Brett where he's really, he's angry at the fans because he feels that they've turned their back on him and they all love Stone Cold instead. That character is so well done, so well performed and well executed. And his in-ring work is so unbelievably crisp and immaculate. My God, I feel like an idiot for never paying (laughs) proper attention to Brett Hart before. He is so unbelievably good and... That's one of the biggest takeaways from season four. I've been enjoying The Rock. I've been enjoying Stone Cold. It's nice to see these slightly different pre-attitude era versions of them. And I've got an appreciation for all that stuff. But my God, Bret Hart is one of the big, big takeaways for me from season four. I really want to see more of his stuff now.
0: Yeah, I think I was the same for a lot of things because you know, when I was younger, I tried to watch some of Bret and you know I don't think I was old enough to appreciate it. It seemed a bit too slow for me. But then yes. I think over the last, few years especially I've been watching a lot of more early 90s mid 90s stuff where he would have been at his peak in the company and mm-hmm. yeah you're saying like you actually see it you see that there was more to him you know he was actually a really good technical wrestler who who happened to go into an old bitter old man you
1: know? <laughs> but what's weird now is even now I like I like Brett Hart I have this appreciation for him I don't even mind the grumpy bitterness of old Brett or anything I actually <laughs> find it kind of endearing like oh he's earned the right to be a bit unhappy hasn't he like bless him <laughs>
0: But uh, unfortunately, at one point, you guys had to kind of take a, a break from the main like series mm. timeline uh, over the last year or so. So I can't imagine that was uh, an easy decision uh, to come to.
1: It sucked, to be honest. It really sucked because, as yeah, once the pandemic had properly kicked off, and we were motoring through season four up until then, we were like doing really great, and we we were hitting like. I think we hit Bad Blood was the last pay-per-view we did. So Kane had just arrived. Things were getting really hot and spicy on the timeline. We were enjoying all the pay-per-views. And then we weren't able to record in person anymore. And We've tried doing three-way Zooms and three-way Skypes as like a little experiment before. And while it's one thing me and Kevin recording together on Zoom, or Kevin and Billy, or me and Billy, doing a two-way dynamic like that is just about manageable for a back-and-forth and a rapport. But a lot of our sort of magic and our like three way chemistry does not translate to Zoom, and as you know, we could have tried, we could have given it a go, and but <laughs> the really hard roadblock, and this is the, this is the thing I forgot that I'm just remembering now. The next episode that we were due to do on the timeline was Survivor Series '97, the Montreal mm-hmm. screw job. the one that people had been hounding us for absolutely ages forever saying to us i can't wait to hear your take on the screw job or you better you better live up to the hype it's gonna have to be a really good episode we weren't gonna risk doing it on zoom so it was a, a tough decision but we decided we were gonna have to put it on ice until we could record in person again which meant a long wait and a lot of bonus episodes but truth be told some of the content we put out in that period has been some of my favourite stuff we've ever done. It was sad having to put Season 4 on ice, but getting to t- take a look at the very, very bizarre Australian promotion World Wrestling All-Stars <laughs> and looking at The Undertaker's five-part documentary series The Last Ride in excruciating detail has been a lot of fun for me, and I'm really glad that we had an excuse to do that stuff at least.
0: Mm-hmm. It did feel like a weird, like, cruel twist of fate that the fact that probably uh, if you're doing, going from '97 like, to '98. Arguably, the most thing, important thing you're going to talk about, basically with Brett involved, is going to be Survivor Series, and mm-hmm. that's the one you're 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 doing. Yep. <laughs> so it did feel like the universe was saying, "Like, okay, enough opinions about the screw job, right? <laughs> I'll put an end to this."
1: That's it, and it did make the build up intolerable because when we finally, finally got to sit down together in person again, the three of us. I had this anxiety of, like, we've not done a pers- an in-person recording for, like, over a year now. The three of us haven't done this. Am I going to be rusty? Is it going to feel weird? Well, no pressure, but it's only the most anticipated episode <laughs> of your podcast ever, yeah. so good luck with that. <laughs> but going
0: into, like, the kind of structure of the, the show where you've done the different seasons, and the most part you go from pay-per-view to pay-per-view with some exceptions, like you did in season three, there were the occasional episodes of Raw yeah, were important to the timeline. Uh, Where did the decision come to kind of have that as the format by strictly going by the pay-per-views as opposed to the TV? Because I've heard you and Kevin talk about how you do watch the the weekly TV to kind of like get a feel for the, the stories.
1: Yeah, we do. And yeah, we watch every episode of Raw in between. And then when SmackDown was a thing for like season three, we were watching all the SmackDowns as well. It's just it's hard like if we started saying that like oh there's a significant moment on this raw so it's worth doing we would end up doing every episode of raw pretty much because there's so many things going on in like season four and in the invasion in particular so we have to be really really picky about which if we are going to do an episode of raw or two it has to be a really particularly special one and the way we normally do it when we when we're starting a new season the three of us will sit down and we'll lay out a roadmap of like these are the episodes that we 100% absolutely must do. Mostly the pay-per-views. And if there's like a very, very significant episode of Raw or two, that'll be on that list of essentials. And then we'll have like a list of maybe these ones are worth looking at. Maybe we'll suss it out when we get closer to it and figure out if this is worth doing as like a bonus episode or whatever. Good example of that being the, uh, the Slammy Awards from 1997. That was very much <laughs> on the maybe pile and man alive. I'm so glad we did that episode. <laughs>
0: yeah because i remember listening because i didn't remember anything from that
1: other than obviously the moment everybody thinks of which is owen just going yes
0: I yeah. did it again.
1: <laughs> and if it weren't for that we wouldn't know about such classic things as the undertaker receiving the award for best tattoos and very earnestly saying thank you at the podium
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but in between doing the show and everything over the last year uh you've been doing a lot of stuff over on twitch as well yes and uh, I just wanted to ask, like, how over the last year or so has Twitch really helped you kind of keep yourself kind of occupied during the lockdown and everything? Because a lot of people have been yeah, taking advantage of
1: stuff like Twitch. Mm. It's honestly mad. It's one of the most, it's, well, it is the most unexpected thing that happened to me in 2021. So, because we were doing SmackDown crawls and like these bonus episodes over Skype and over Zoom, I decided it's probably a good idea to invest in a better internet connection now and upgrade my Wi Fi. And when I did, my my new connection went live, and I saw, that I've oh, I've got a decent enough upload speed for now. I have to do something to test it and see how good it is. So I installed OBS, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a Twitch stream, just just a little one-off. I'll pop on one afternoon. I downloaded a Game Boy Advance emulator and a load of wrestling games, like Road to WrestleMania and Royal Rumble. I don't remember. They were very generic. But I just thought I'll hop on and stream this and we'll see if my internet connection works. I went on Twitter and said, people, can you just come to my Twitch link here and just tell me if my connection is good so I know if my internet's good now? I did that. And I, don't, I didn't know anything about Twitch either, really. I've seen maybe one or two streams in the past, but I'm completely novice as to what Twitch really was. But people came in the chat and started chatting to me. And then I would respond to them on camera and they would say other things and it became a back and forth and oh my god i got so swept up in the excitement and the fun of it that next thing you know i was like investing in better setups better equipment and then agreeing to do it way more often and suddenly found myself streaming on a pretty regular basis because i enjoyed that interaction so much that immediate connection with the people in the chat like talking to them they talk back and i've said this a hundred times on my twitch stream that's the best part is that People come on there with the expectation of like, I'm meant to be entertaining because I'm the one that's hosting. But the people that come and do the chatting in my chat are so funny and so like sharp and quick witted that I don't have to come up with anything myself. I can just read out their jokes and get away with it. It's absolutely brilliant. So I started doing this regularly and the regulars and the people that would come and tune in quite often, such as your co-host, Andy, I started chatting with them and getting to know them better and It went from this thing that was meant to be testing my internet connection to this fun little hobby that I would do occasionally to now like a community of friends that I actually consider really like near and dear to my heart. And it's completely out of nowhere and completely by surprise. And again, one of the things that like, you know, good things have come out of this pandemic, I guess. And for me, that is absolutely one of them. And now I I recommend it to everyone. I think everyone should have a go at streaming because it's just a nice way to meet people and chat to people and make new friends, you know?
0: yeah yeah I totally I totally get that what are some of your kind of favourite games that you've uh, you've played, and played over your time on Twitch
1: ooh favourites I mean I, I you see I tend to shake things up quite a lot I get very fickle on Twitch like I'll stream something for a few weeks and then get a little bored and maybe change it up a bit Red Dead Online has become a pretty regular mainstay of my Twitch stream a lot of us will posse up on there on PS4 and we'll ride around together on the planes I started off thinking like, okay, well, people know me as a wrestling guy, so I need to have a wrestling game of some sort to play. I know. I'll go on Steam and see what's cheap. 2K20, huh? Mm-hmm. All right. Hello. Yeah, it didn't last very long. Yeah. We streamed it for a few weeks. So I uninstalled it. It's, it's not good. <laughs> Jeez. Huh. Believe the hype, people. It really is as bad as they say. Fire Pro Wrestling is a very, very fun one. We've not done it for a little while, and I keep meaning to get back to it. But Fire Pro is genuinely a brilliant wrestling game in a, in a time where it feels like there are no good wrestling games anymore. And if you can think of a fictional character or a famous person, you type it in on the Steam Workshop and it'll, they'll be there. they guaranteed they will be there. Mr. Blobby was waiting and ready to go. Godzilla was waiting and ready to go. <laughs> Scatman John was already there. Like Everyone we could think of was ready and waiting. You just install them, you chuck them in a ring and you let them go at it. And it's actually really, really good.
0: Yeah, I still uh, kind of invest in the, the wrestling games probably around 2K17 or 18 because... Uh, oh, you it, held on longer it, than I did, pal. <laughs> yeah, I kinda, it just felt like the same, a slightly updated version with a different roster of the same game each year. And I think with the report especially of 2K20, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm feeling more and more
1: justified every day. Yeah, you made a good call. Like, let's just leave it now. Maybe AEW will impress everyone with their game. I mean, I I had hopes that, you know, they said that 2K were going away and they were going to learn from their mistakes and they were going to take their time with this next one. So 2K22 is going to be a much more polished product. And then I feel so bad for those developers because I imagine their roster that they started off with has been cut down to like a quarter of what it used to be with all these releases now. It's going to be a barren game with hardly anyone left in it. Uh, if I
0: was a developer, too, I'd consider a career change or moving to a different company at this point because the changes and you probably start do a big enough, a big enough roster for an entirely new game
1: just for the people that have been let go. Legitimately, legitimately. And hey, you know what? The game. Let's see. Let's wait and see. Maybe the game will be good. Maybe it won't. I think either way, though, we're going to get some very interesting YouTube documentaries about the development of this one. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, I remember like some of the footage i've seen of that AEW game like there are a couple of people at the moment who don't look entirely realistic because i was like you got mm. Kenny omega with a massive chest and everything but like yeah you know i'm kind of giving that a chance because like with w over the last three years i've been constantly like oh look how realistic this person was and they went over the line to the point where some of them don't look great. Right. so I'm, mm. i i I'm, I'm fine going back just for this one game to guys that don't aren't don't look exactly realistic who looks like
1: proper over-the-top video game characters There's something to be said for it. Like, I I appreciate the realism of 2K. Don't get me wrong. When I installed 2K20, there was maybe an hour or so where I I was playing it and I was like, nah, everyone was wrong. They were all wrong. It's actually really good. It's actually really, really good because the graphics, they're not, you know, there's glitches and there's problems, but the graphics are, for the most part, pretty decent. I remember seeing Triple H come out. The lighting was impressive. He was stood on the ramp and Michael Cole (laughs) with the perfect mundane commentary went... And it wouldn't be pay-per-view without the game. And there was something about how naff the commentary was. I was like, it's actually really realistic. Like, it's very compellingly real. And then, obviously, it all falls apart the more you play it. But I went and played No Mercy with Kevin for the very first time recently. The first time I properly sunk my teeth into that game and played it for a good stretch... And there's something about the chunky, blocky, over-the-top characters that look more like cartoons or action figures than real wrestlers. I quite like the stylized nature of it, so I'm willing to let AEW like bend the truth a little bit with what people look like. If they can make it a consistent style, it could work really well for the game. Mm-hmm. I believe, like I can't remember the name of the company,
0: but I believe they did have some. They did work with WWE years ago in some of the older games, so. People that are working with AEW, so they do have a history there. So
1: from what I understand, I think it is the No Mercy team that is, or at least some people from the No Mercy development team have like crossed over with this AEW project. So there's high hopes. I and mean, it's it's gotta be it's gotta be more interesting than WWE Battlegrounds, at least. Please. That's <laughs> all I'm asking for.
0: Yeah, I don't even go near that. Like I just heard one too many comments about like, right I've saved myself
1: some time. That's it. I was genuinely... I got it for free with PlayStation Plus and I was genuinely angry. Like, couldn't you have given me something else for free instead of this?
0: (laughs) Uh, You got a... You talked about some of the stuff you got to do outside of the main series, like the last Friday and some other things. And also you've got a numerous side series, both on the main feed and on your your Patreon. Uh, One of the ones I enjoyed uh, of your side series that you started during Season 3 was uh, The Look at Tough Enough. Yes. Uh, during season one, for mm-hmm. uh, the first season of Tough Enough. And I remember before the out, you guys started doing season two
1: of mm-hmm. Tough Enough. Uh, is there any interest in you guys in going back eventually to do more Tough Enough? 100%. We actually cannot wait. The problem is our time together, the three of us, has been so precious lately. And we felt so compelled to get on with season four that every time we meet up, it's like, we don't really have time. You know, we can't go all this way and meet up together in person again and then just do a tough enough as fun as tough enough is mm-hmm. season four is what people have been exciting for and waiting for this whole time so we've been getting on with that and now we're at the point where we just released royal rumble the other day and that means we've got no way out left and then wrestlemania and that's it season four is done so mm-hmm. i don't want to speak on behalf of the other guys but the way i'm ve- feeling about it at the minute is maybe we just leave tough enough a little bit longer wrap season four up get that finished mm-hmm. And then we can get Tough Enough going again, maybe alongside season five. Maybe we can start it bes- between seasons or something. Um, so I'm not sure exactly when we'll get back to it, but please understand, we are most definitely doing more Tough Enough and we are doing it the way Al Snow wants it to be done because, my God, that first season of Tough Enough is some of my favourite stuff we've ever done on the podcast. And, oh, we just wet our whistle with the first bit of season two, so I- I'm itching to get back to it.
0: Uh, did I remember... I- Tough enough. All I remembered really from those early seasons, because uh, I remember the only tough enough I'd been exposed to before that was I was watching Spider at the same time the million dollar tough enough was going on with right. the Miz and Daniel. Yeah, yeah. And people yeah. Like that. Mm-hmm. So I vaguely remembered that, and I knew Maven came from tough enough. So yes. you know that was an experience listening to those tough the uh, tough enough episodes, learning why actually went down. Yeah, and the uh, the the line that I've I've incorporated and I've, I've told my brother about, it and he laughed every time I said Do it I, the way I want it to be done from Alpha. Yep.
1: That's it. There's just so many fascinating little, little funny things like that that a lot of people aren't even aware of because Tough Enough sort of slips under the radar a lot of the time. And me and Kevin are bel- both self-professed reality TV maniacs. So being able to talk about some of the tropes and some of the editing things from reality TV is fun as well. And it's just, it started, at least season one of Tough Enough started in a period of time where I still had a lot of nostalgia for. So you're seeing the likes of Triple H. You're seeing uh, you know the likes of a very disinterested Stone Cold Steve Austin. And you know the, the the little bit of season two that we did, it allowed us to see some Bob Holly, some Ivory. I think the cliffhanger where we ended it was on a beach with Big Show holding a giant toolbox over his head. That's the image that's been burned into my mind, and I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to find out what happens next, baby. <laughs> uh,
0: just a follow on that. What are some of your kind of uh, favorite like, stuff in terms of like
1: reality TV? Yeah. Well. I mean, you may or may not already know, but we have got a a, a separate podcast on the PodCrab's network called It's Raw, where we talk about mm. the many adventures of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. That's a big one for me. That is my bread and butter of reality TV is Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, Little Bit of Hell's Kitchen, Hotel Hell, anything with Gordon in it, I'm there. Um, big, big fans of The Apprentice. Me, Kevin, um, Kevin's partner, Joe, my partner, Alice. We will always meet up and watch The Apprentice every week when there's a season on. Anything like that, which, and don't get me wrong, just for the listener's benefit, just be clear about this. I know it's not good. I know all of this is bad, and none of it's actually good TV, and it hasn't got any actual worth anymore. Especially stuff like The Apprentice, where it starts off like, oh, this is quite interesting. We're going to see these these business people compete in challenges. And now it's got to the point where it's like, we're going to get these idiots, and we're going to put them on a bus full of kids, and they're going to have to sing to them, like... Every reality show starts off with an interesting idea, and then slowly over the years gets boiled down to this absolute mess of horrible television. And that the, the horrible television part—that's the part I really enjoy.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I yeah exactly. Even with regards to the Gordon and stuff, because me and my dad went through a, a whole phase a couple of years ago mm-hmm. of what of like Hotel Hell, Kitchen oh, yes. Nightmares, the US one, yes. particularly. Of course, uh, yeah, going through that and like. It got to the point where we could we picked on certain things that he does in certain places, like my dad, whenever he ordered the scallops, like, oh, he ordered the scallops, you can always tell when they're fresh, the yeah. scallops, oh, you can always spot, you know, this is going to be bad for them, like, yeah, we started picking up on things a bit too easily, and it's ironic because, like, we had we would watched a few shows. We watched a show called uh, "Can't Pay, Take It Away."
1: <laughs> <a bit. laughs> that show was too depressing for me. I couldn't stomach it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like,
0: and I know, and I watched it all the. Time. I know I've been hypocritical because for years my mum's been upset with reality TV, and I've mocked her ver- version of reality TV, yep. and I've, I've convinced myself like, no, our version is okay because it's got Gordon Ramsay in it. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> like, our- well- what's disappointing to me is because I love reality TV and I love wrestling, but for some reason over the years, I've never been able to get into the likes of total divas, total bellas, Ms. and Misses. It is. <laughs> I, I wish that they were more palatable to me. Cause that's like the ultimate crossover of things. I like mm. the closest, I guess I've come to enjoying something like that. And I think it's still on the network. So you can still check it out. Is that one series of legends house they did where they chucked a load of hall of famers yeah. in a house together and just like, Let's see what happens. <laughs> like that was such a weird, bizarre experiment. And I wish we had more of it. Yeah. I gave to Bells a, a test for like a couple of episodes
0: of the first mm. season, mainly because, you know, they had Brian and, and John and uh, John Laurinaitis in it and everything. Yes. It, it was fine, but I thought like I didn't feel an immediate urge to go and check out more of it.
1: That's it. It's it's because it's closer to the keeping up with the Kardashians, Jersey Shore, mm-hmm. that side of reality TV, and that's not so much for me. I don't know, maybe I'll get there one day. Yeah. So <laughs> Andy's just pointed out here, he's still waiting for Steve Blackman Bounty Hunter. Did that actually happen? Was it a pilot or like I remember yeah. seeing something about it? Yeah, I think he,
0: he filmed a, a pilot episode for it, which somehow oh. did not get played. like, how can you say no to Steve Blackman? Come on. Easy money, baby. I <laughs> know. It's 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 just bizarre. But Talk about the sites you guys done there. Uh, you got the SmackDown crawl over on Patreon there, uh, the Bibliotech, and among many others. What have been some of your, you know, what are some of the ones that you enjoy most? Kind of doing because I I understand that with uh, the yeah with the attitude there, you were more a two thousand two thousand one you mm. know kind of person. So you guys are kind of peaking that year right now on SmackDown crawl.
1: We are. And yeah, SmackDown Crawl for me is probably my favorite thing that we do regularly on the podcast. As much as I love the main seasons, as much as I, as much as I have fun doing everything we do, SmackDown Crawl, being able to go through something week by week and go at a bit more of a glacial pace... Has been really, really rewarding, especially because like just on like a very self-indulgent side, like you say, it's been the time period that I grew up with as a kid. I've been watching the same episodes of SmackDown that I would have been watching on a Saturday morning on Sky One and just having like a huge, even bigger wave of nostalgia than usual. And I believe me, I get a lot of nostalgia from this podcast <laughs> at the best of times. Um the the WWA side series we did is probably my favorite side series we've done of anything. We've we've done like a few other side ventures across, over the years, but the WWA is just something else to me. Uh, to the point where I know that on every episode I was complaining about it and I was non-stop moaning about how miserably bad and how stupid and how weird it was. But we reached the end of it and I found myself being like, "Oh, <laughs> I could have gone for like another five pay-per-views maybe. Like as much as I hated every minute of watching it, the talking about it, the researching it, the sheer lunacy of what was going on behind the scenes. I loved all of that. And I'm just sad that it's like, that's done now. If we want to continue it, we're going to have to start looking at like early days TNA. And that's something I'm not so excited
0: about. Oh. Uh, I remember for the, the podcast, we, we'd started doing our website and like people were writing stuff for it. And I remember, mm. oh, I, I, I somehow found out that it was coming off on the anniversary in 2018, the anniversary of like the first weekly pay-per-view and i said to him oh let me write a little feature about this and i regret doing that because the first episode uh, despite the, the six-man tag that opens it other mm. than that not very good i regret
1: doing yeah. that. yeah who'd have thought that a concept like weekly pay-per-views wouldn't have taken off <laughs>
0: <laughs> who would have thought yeah the w WW, the wwa uh series. That was interesting because I'd, I think you're one of the only people that really talking about it because other than you guys, all I'd heard about it was a, a small episode from uh, from Wrestling With Regret that That's really it. skimmed over in about 10-15 minutes the whole history of the company. So I think you were the only the only ones out there really doing a more in-depth look at it and when you look at the, some of the shows, I think uh, you probably see
1: why. Yeah, it's, it's shocking. And yeah, there's, there's clearly a reason why the rest of the wrestling media landscape decided to stay well away from that stinker. But that I, th- I think that's kind of like a badge of honour for us is that's one of the things we do. It's the kind of thing that a lot of people, you could review it, in like a 20-minute video or in like an hour-long podcast, you could review an entire subject. But we take great pride in torturing ourselves by going through things in excruciating detail. Sure, we could have talked about The Undertaker's documentary series in like one bonus episode, but no, 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 no. We spent like 10 hours going through the whole thing in such miserable detail. Yeah,
0: uh, you told him it's mad, this guy won that. I uh, Hmm. I remember... Especially, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day. And I do think that it's true that maybe in the UK, uh, a lot of wrestling fans, especially with WWE, have more affinity for SmackDown more than Raw. Because I think SmackDown yes. would have been more easily available. Because uh, I didn't watch a full episode of Raw till like towards the end of the two thousands. Because for me, it was uh, two hours on Saturday of uh, of SmackDown, and then I got the highlights of Raw from WWE Bottom Line hosted by Todd yes. Grisham
1: you grew up on a healthy diet of Todd Grisham and SmackDown. And this would have been Cole and Taz era SmackDown as well, right, that you're Mm -hmm. talking about? Yeah. Oh, baby, what what an announced team you got there. Three absolute icons. (laughs) I'm with you, though. It was very, very seldom that I would be able to stay up and watch Raw because Raw would be on Sky Sports 1 at like 1 a.m. or midnight or whatever it would have been. So there was no way I had control over what was on the Skybox at that time of night, you know? Mm -hmm. And there was the brief period of time where Channel 4 had the pay-per-views, like a two- or three-month window, I think. And I could catch a little bit on there. We could maybe set the VCR for that. But I think maybe I watched one episode of Raw ever as a child. The rest of it, it was all about Saturday morning Smackdowns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very UK-based thing, I think, especially given it was on the weekend, so it was easier for... That's it. It was literally made for us school kids, which makes it even more shocking. Like just today, me and Kevin recorded an episode of Smackdown Crawl where Vince is backstage. It's right in the the height of Vince and Trish's love affair. Gross storyline. Vince is super stressed out and he's backstage with Trish on his arm and he's going, I'm feeling very, uh, very tense. I want to relax. So Why don't you go out there and... I'm gonna have you have a bra and panties match. And I was immediately thinking, like, yes, I remember being like 10, 9 years old watching this on a Saturday morning with my granddad. And there's Trish going out there in a bra and panties match, specifically so that Vince can, in quotes, relax backstage. It's meant to be a PG show for God's sake.
0: Yeah. People like other family members never never walk in when there's a, a great technical match going uh-uh. on. It's always a never. One of our, our, our co-hosts. Uh, David talked about a very embarrassing moment for him where his granddad uh, walked in while he was watching episode of that just so happened to be the, uh, the Edge and Lita
1: live celebration. Jesus! Talk about the worst imaginable one! <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> I'd say only maybe Katie Vick is maybe the only one that comes close to being that on the nose.
0: Yeah, yeah. So,
1: But, want well, to ask you
0: a question about, like, during the, the show across all the, the season all the pay-per-views you've had to kind of watch uh it's kind of a two-part question so i'm gonna be careful how i phrase it but all right what's been one of your favorite shows? is just the what get to watch back for the show and what's been a show that maybe while you may not have enjoyed watching it it's one of your favorites to actually talk about to
1: watch i mean the the, the default answer will always be wrestlemania 17 like i i I'll give you a better one than that because that is just such a predictable response. But yeah, it's always WrestleMania 17. I could watch that every week without fail and never get bored of it. Um, In terms of one that was like, we sat down to watch and I was like, oh, damn, this is a pleasant surprise. I would say uh, Fully Loaded, 2,000 that's one of those random B-shows from the Attitude Era where they decided to mix up the main event picture a little bit and you had Chris Jericho taken on Triple H you had Kurt Angle taken on The Undertaker and you had The Rock taken on Chris Benoit and they advertised it as a triple main event and it genuinely genuinely felt like a triple main event there were these three matches with these three mid card guys that were just starting to reach the boil, mm-hmm. and they actually pushed them into the main event and did it in a really great way, where all of them put on amazing performances, really unexpected, different matches. The show opener, I think, was a six person tag with the Hardys and Lita taking on TNA and Trish. Like the whole card, top to bottom, is just like a really surprising variety pack of Attitude Era stars. And if you tell someone like fully loaded 2000s, chances are they will be like, hey, eh? We on about, that's, that's not SummerSlam or Royal Rumble like, but genuinely really really taken aback especially because I feel like fully loaded 98 and if there was one in 99 very forgettable shows mm-hmm. so you find something like that and you watch it and you're like oh my god really taken aback it sticks with you in terms of one that wasn't fun to watch but was fun to talk about and again much like I was saying with the WWA, where I hated it but then I was sad that it was over the XWF that me and Kevin covered Jimmy Hart and Brian Knobbs's promotion they set up I wish there was more of that, man. It was such a blast talking about it. I hated every second of watching it. It was a miserable experience to watch, but my God, me and Kevin got so giddy. And like, I genuinely felt like I lost my mind discussing some of the stuff on that show. I would kill for more XWF content. I don't think there is anything else out there, sadly.
0: Yeah. Uh, Going back to you, fully loaded, I think I agree with you the fact that they only ever did three, so I think 2000 would have been the last one. Yes. Yeah. And the fact, I think it was so good, but like you said, the other ones before, it probably is what overshadows it. But looking back on it, top to bottom, I think for me, the only question mark on that card, and it's only a, really a nitpick in the grand scheme of things, is the Taz Al Snow match, because uh, they show you oh, Taz yeah. on yeah. this hell of a run. Like, who's going to stop this unstoppable monster? Al Snow.
1: <laughs> yeah i had forgotten about that and that does stick out as a a glaring problem on an otherwise decent card
0: <laughs> yeah i mean how can you forget a card that has that rikishi dive off the cage
1: oh my god that's the same show as well yes a 100 percent. rikishi and valvenus like one of the best <laughs> intercontinental matches of the entire attitude era hell of a pay-per-view that i might actually have to watch it again soon
0: <laughs> yeah i mean I'm not a fan of Val Venus, but even I'll stand up for that match. since a, a, <laughs> a hell of a show. Uh, so Adam, we're kind of wrapping up our, our time here, but something okay. we've not done yet, sir, in a while is that we to do these kind of a quick fire questions. So if you don't mind, I'd like to just some of those with you if you don't mind.
1: Okay, let's do it.
0: All right then. Uh, just mostly whatever comes to mind. Uh, Rock or Austin? Austin. Uh, Trish or Lita? Lita. E&C, Hardys or Dudley's?
1: Uh, oh shit that's a really hard one uh, Hardys
0: uh, Biker Taker Dead Man Taker Dead Man Taker <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not a hard one uh, let's see XWF or WWA oh WWA oh. Uh, I mean listen to me what your most recent So I think I might know the answer to this. Brett or Sean Brett <laughs> 100% Brett Uh, DX or NWO
1: you know what I don't know anything about the NWO I'm so ignorant when it comes to WCW but I'm going to pick them at least because whenever I see the NWO it's always like highlights packages like oh they look cool don't they Mm -hmm. having seen DX from 97 in excruciating detail now I can say yeah I'd rather the guys that I know very little about thank you very much Uh, Xbox or PlayStation PlayStation Uh, Night In or Night Out Night in.
0: Uh, Chinese or Indian? Indian. Uh, Best wrestling game?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a curveball. Best. Um, Here Comes the Pain. Nice. Uh, TV show you
0: binge watched most during lockdown?
1: The Office.
0: The US one?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. (laughs) You could binge Uh, watch the UK office in like an afternoon and be done with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you'll have have more time to do repeat viewings. (laughs) Uh, Maybe without saying WrestleMania X7 as well. Uh, Favorite wrestling pay-per-view? WrestleMania 30. Mm, Legit. That's a nice one. And a period of time or promotion that you'd most like to do a future season on? Ooh, okay.
1: An Adam's pick. <laughs> hmm. that's a tough one you know i've never actually thought about what if it was up to me what if i could just pick one that i wanted because you see i took such a long break away from wrestling mm-hmm. and when i came back to wrestling that's actually what we've already covered in season two is the 2011 to 2013 period i'm gonna say 2016 smackdown where Shane mcmahon and daniel bryan took over mm-hmm. you had the likes of aj styles and dean ambrose in the main event I've got like a weird little nostalgia for that, even though it was only five years ago. That was the last time I remember WWE being like, oh, this is actually very good, and I want to watch it every week and enjoy it. And I want to know if that was just because my standards were so low at that point that I would have taken anything decent, or if that actually does hold up as a nice little time period. So I'm going to say that.
0: Yeah, we actually, a couple months ago, looked back at Backlash 2016, and I remember when the idea came out, I thought, oh, it was only five years ago. It seems weird to go back, but it really... I feel like there there's such optimism for SmackDown at that point. Yes. And 2016, especially, I've often said, like I know in many facets in the real world, it was a horrible year, but mm. for wrestling,
1: minus Mania 32, it was a hell of a year. It was, it really was. It felt like there was a bit of a turning point with that re-splitting of the brands. It felt like, okay, there's a bit of hope that things might actually start picking up again now. And hey, who could forget that the headbangers came back to take the Tag Vision by Storm. So, you know, that's what it was all about, really.
0: What a time, yeah. You know, about Adam's pick, because I know you guys have done like you've put your own picks up to to do a special bonus episodes, Billy's one. And like, I grew up in the Aggression here, I can recognize there was some weird stuff during that period, but. I don't know if what Billy's picked so far has been the
1: best representative of Ruthless Aggression either. Oh, definitely not. Most definitely (laughs) not. I don't think Billy's looking for the best representations of Ruthless Aggression. He's not trying to sell us on Ruthless Aggression. All Billy's doing is going, I remember this when I was a kid. I want to watch that. And then I think twice now it's happened where it wasn't even the show that he was thinking of. He put forward the wrong Punjabi prison match, for instance. (laughs) Look, all I'll say is that Billy has... Billy has known for quite a long time now what his next boys pick nomination is going to be. And he won't shut up about it. He is so, so smug because it's a really scary one. (laughs) It's a really, really bad one. And obviously he's going to win. Obviously everyone's going to vote for Billy's pick. So look forward to that in a few months time, I guess, when we finish season four. Are you just in the stage where like, you're not even thinking of your pick when you're just mentally preparing yourself now? Genuinely, the other day, and I'm not exaggerating here, I'm not just saying this, me and Kevin legitimately had a bit of a strategy meeting about this the other day where we were talking <laughs> about like... You know, we could both pick the same thing and try and, like, combine our efforts. Or what if I choose something that people will never, ever, ever vote for? And then the people that might have voted for me might vote for Kevin instead. Because, you know, if if me and Kevin both pick good things, we're going to be splitting the votes and everyone will just be going, you know, we'll be having like a Labour and Lib Dem kind of situation when really we need to. That's not a very good analogy, actually, yeah. is it? <laughs> Uh, we need a coalition of chaos is what i'm saying with me and kevin we need to combine our efforts if we're ever to have any chance of taking on billy but i do think with the last two boys picks even if we combined all of our votes together we still wouldn't have come close to winning so we may as well just rebrand it to billy's picks at this point let's be honest
0: So uh, i've just got this like image of a darkened room you and kevin got your own like war room, right? We need to solve this
1: Billy problem. <laughs> Pretty much it. and just No matter how you slice it, no matter what we do, there's no way out of it. Billy's going to win, especially when people find out what Billy's putting forward for this one. We don't stand a chance.
0: <laughs> well, I look forward to finding out about that. And I hope you guys check it out as well. But Adam, if you want to find out where they could find out updates about season four, about the about Billy's pick, or what you've got going on on Twitch, where could they find that out?
1: Well, you can find out everything about the Attitude Era podcast on Twitter at a Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Attitude Era Podcast. And of course, you can find the podcast on all good podcasting services like SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get yours, just search Attitude Era Podcast and you'll find us. You can catch up with me on Twitter at Biblops, or you can see me streaming some random bullshit on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash Adam Bibolo. Very nice. And you can remember to
0: follow us on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And for episodes such as our feature shows every single Tuesday, our central show, looking back at the week and the biggest news every Thursday, Saturday Draft Live, or every Saturday, East Meets West every so often. And make sure to check out our YouTube content as well. Uh, and make sure to follow us at Soaplights, retweet on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and join the Facebook uh, community page. But Adam, been a hell of a time getting to, to chat with you, and I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. It's always a nice time to talk to someone that appreciates Kane. <laughs> yeah it's always it's always gotta be keen
0: it will never not be keen <laughs> um... that's a human being, or is that a human being?
1: Kane, It's has gotta be Kane, The Undertaker, looking at him, looking to the eyes of that giant who stands in front of him. Is that his younger brother? He's huge, whoever he is. He's as big as The Undertaker. Podcast
0: Network.